This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. There are several ways for parents to protect their kids from nefarious influence or data collection online that have the added benefit that government needn't be involved in any way. Cato's Jennifer Huddleston is author of a new paper on the subject. We spoke yesterday. Forgive me, Jennifer, and I implore the forgiveness of my audience. I have very little tolerance for parents who lazily place the burdens of parenthood onto the government. I dislike it greatly, and it seems that entrepreneurial politicians are more than happy to take up this immense burden of trying to design policy where a basic level of sufficient parenting would do. And protecting young people online definitely falls, at least in my view, squarely within the category of things that parents ought to do that politicians, at least, are more than happy to attempt to craft policy to deal with. Tell me, before we get started, you have a new paper out, but before we get to sort of the substance of what a basically adequate parent can do to protect their children online, what is so bad about having the government at least attempt to craft policies to engage in this kind of protection of young people? Given various headlines, we're seeing many parents and policymakers express concerns about the relationship between kids and teens and various technologies, particularly social media. But these concerns and their solutions are not a one-size-fits-all situation. Like you mentioned, as a result, parents are often going to be in the best spot to make these decisions. And what we've seen with many of the policies proposed so far is that they'd be incredibly restrictive, that they would really place severe limitations on free speech, on privacy for all users, not just for young people or parents, and that they would take away a lot of those choices. That being said, the real focus on this issue should be about understanding what the underlying concerns are and then focusing on empowerment and education for both young people and parents so that they can make the decisions around technology that best serve their family's values and also allow them to use it in beneficial ways. The other side of this is when parents pawn off their basic parental responsibilities onto the government, the government's terrible at that kind of decision, right? So for parents who care a lot about protecting their children online, what are the things that they need to focus on? What are the things that they might not really appreciate about the process of doing that? We recently hosted a virtual policy forum where we got more in depth onto some of these conversations and some of the resources that are out there. So for listeners that are are interested, I'd highly recommend tuning in to, to that virtual event as well. But what we've seen are there are a lot of development of various tools for specific sites. Some parents are overwhelmed just by the sheer number of sites, and it feels like every day your kid or teen is on some new site or some new device that you're having to learn. But as you mentioned, Caleb, as a parent, just like being aware of other aspects of your child's life, it's the parent or the caregiver or the trusted adult's responsibility to have those conversations with young people. We've also seen many civil society groups like the Family Online Safety Institute, uh, Common Sense Media, connect safely, 
develop various resources that can help parents navigate these conversations, that can even help parents understand how to have the conversation when they give their child a smartphone or a connected device or a tablet for the first time around what the norms and expectations are for that. Think of it this way. The first time you hand it your child or hand your child the keys to a car, you probably had a lot of conversations with them about that. When it comes to technology, one of the solutions is for parents to also have conversations with their children about the benefits of technology, as well as the responsibilities and any risks that they may be concerned about. Other parents are maybe less tolerant, less comfortable with the level of technology that their kids are able to access. And you just mentioned a bunch of groups that provide assistance. But in terms of like locking down access to certain things, there has long been a wide variety of products available to parents from the base level at which information flows into your home through the internet. Right. And again, this is going to vary so much from family to family. There are services at a device level, things like Ask to Buy, if you're worried that your daughter is going to be on the iPad and running up a bill on a certain app from buying virtual cookies or whatever is used in a, a particular game. There are kind of network level things if you are concerned about certain kinds of access. And then there are individual app level features we've seen around concerns about, say, the amount of time that a child is spending. But as you can imagine, these vary from child to child and situation to situation. So maybe in the summer, you're okay with your daughter spending a little more time on on ABC Mouse if she has more free time. But during the school year, you want to make sure that that it's capped at a certain time. The great thing about allowing the free market and civil society groups to develop tools like this is that they really enable parents to have the ability to decide what's best for each individual child, even within the same household. So maybe your daughter is older and you're comfortable with her having a different set of responsibilities than your son who you may want to to still have more direct oversight of his activities. For people who have consumed Khan Academy products and the services and videos that Khan Academy has put out, it's matrix algebra, calculus, down to just the most basic stuff. And there are, again, a wide variety of products and videos that you can get access to for your young people. But in many cases, those exist right alongside stuff that you probably really wouldn't want your kids to consume. I think there's a whole nother conversation to have about why young people are online. In some cases, it's consuming educational content, and we've seen some really exciting things happen in the educational space. But one of the things that often gets left out in this debate over kids and teens and social media or, or technology usage is talking to the kids and teens. Now, I'm not saying just because your daughter wants to be on the iPad means you should automatically give her the iPad at any time. But understanding, particularly with older children, particularly with teenagers, why they're finding this sense of online community, what it is that they are seeking to explore, what it is they're learning, what entrepreneurial ventures they may be undertaking, and understanding, is it because this is the space that they feel they have independence is it this is a space where they're able to connect with people 
like them that they may not have in a brick and mortar community or an offline community? Or is it even something more simple that policymakers may be overlooking? Like maybe there isn't a local park that teenagers are are safe to go to. Maybe there aren't places in a neighborhood where the way that, you know, back in the old days of the 1990s, we used to go and, and play wiffle ball in backyards or, or things like that. Understanding why young people are choosing online experiences and the values that they are finding in that rather than just looking at the negatives and just assuming that we as adults know what's going on and know what's best. I don't appreciate your use of the good old days in the same breath as the 1990s. Bottom line this for us, the options for parents today to exert control and to assist their children in directing them toward sources of content that are appropriate for them it's in a way it's never been better but i can imagine that government involvement in this process may be some crowd out effects that is to say the marketplace may not be as vibrant for these kinds of products and services if the government uses a heavy hand in attempting to engage in this kind of regulation from a policy point of view we should really see a focus on education and empowerment rather than regulation We've seen that because there is such a wide range of parental preferences and different family needs, that there are a wide range of options available. I think there's certainly a concern that when we see the government get involved, as we've seen in certain states, that two things could happen. The first off is that this could really say that only this type of technology is appropriate for use of parental controls. But I think there's another concern that doesn't necessarily get discussed as much, which is the false sense of security that could happen if this gets handed over to the government. If parents are told, don't worry about it, the government has made sure that anyone under 18 is only going to see safe things online, they may not be having those important conversations with their kids about how to navigate technology, about the different benefits and risks that they may have to engaging in certain online behaviors. And we want to make sure that then when young people become adults, that they're able to use technology in a beneficial way and that parents also are aware that, you know, there there are important conversations to be had. Jennifer Huddleston is author of a new Cato paper on youth online safety available now. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.